Welcome to Exploring the Catechism of the Council of Trent in the year. I'm Mark Langley. And today is day 90 in our exploration of this catechism. Today we are continuing our study of the Sacrament of Holy Orders. We already talked about why Holy Orders is a sacrament and the dignity and the various names of this sacrament. Um, today, though, we will continue under the subheading, the number of orders. We remember that for many centuries, there were seven orders, and then the church changed that number of orders. Um, after the Second Vatican Council, Pope Paul VI issued a modu proprio called Quaidam Ministeria, in which the so-called minor orders and the subdiaconate were suppressed, so that today we read in the Catechism of the Catholic Church that the orders, number of orders consists in three, the episcopate, the priesthood, and the diaconate. Nonetheless, I think by reading uh, the Catechism with respect to the seven orders uh, that were existing until 1973, it will still shed great light on this sacrament and the, and the reason why we call it orders. And to some extent, even the orders that were suppressed are still around, but they exist not as orders, but as institutions or ministries. Um, so, for example, the Order of Acolyte is now thought to be the uh, ministry of the altar server. And similarly, we still have lectors. Uh, that used to be an order, but now it's a ministry that even lay people can uh, participate in. Um, so let's read the Catechism of uh, the Council of Trent here under that subtitle, The Number of Orders. Now to use the words of the Holy Council, the ministry of so sublime a priesthood, being a thing all divine, it is but befitting its worthier and more reverent exercise, that in the church's well-ordered disposition, there should be several different orders of ministers destined to assist the priesthood by virtue of their office. Orders arranged in such a way that those who have already received clerical tonsure should be raised step by step from the lower to the higher orders. It should be taught, therefore, that these orders are seven in number and, this, and that this has been the constant teaching of the Catholic Church. These orders are those of porter, lector, exorcist, acolyte, subdeacon, deacon, and priest. That the number of ministers was wisely established thus may be proved by considering the various offices that are necessary for the celebration of the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass and the consecration and administration of the Blessed Eucharist, this being the principal scope of their institution. They are divided into major or sacred and minor orders. The major or sacred orders are priesthood, deaconship, and subdeaconship, while the minor orders are those of acolyte, exorcist, lector, and porter, concerning each of which we shall now say a few words so that the pastor may be able to explain them to those especially whom he knows to be about to receive any of the orders in question. And so the Catechism first continues with the um, with what tonsure means. In the beginning should be explained first tonsure, and it should be shown that this is a sort of preparation for the reception of orders, as men are prepared for baptism by exorcisms and for matrimony by engagement. 
so too those who dedicate themselves to God. By tonsure, the way is opened that leads to the sacrament of orders. For by the cutting off of hair is signified the character and disposition of him who desires to devote himself to the sacred ministry. The name cleric. Regarding the name cleric, which is then given him for the first time, it is derived from the fact that he thereby begins to take the Lord for his lot and inheritance, just as those who among the Jews were attached to the service of God were forbidden by the Lord to have any part of the ground that would be distributed in the land of promise. I, he said, am thy portion and inheritance. That's from Numbers chapter 18. And although these words are true of all the faithful, yet it is certain that they apply in a special way to those who consecrate themselves to the service of God. Uh, there's a little footnote explaining that the Greek word kleros, from which we get the word cleric, means a lot. So as an, as an applaud of land. Um, so uh, those who are clerics are those who receive the Lord for their portion and inheritance, not some um, parcel of land. The origin and meaning of tonsure. The hair of the head is cut off in the form of a crown. It should be always worn thus and should be enlarged according as one is advanced to higher orders. The church teaches that this usage is derived from apostolic origin, as mention is made of it by the most ancient and authoritative fathers, such as St. Dionysius the Areopagite, St. Augustine, and St. Jerome. It is said that the Prince of the Apostles first introduced this usage in memory of the crown of thorns, which was put upon our Savior's head, so that the devices resorted to by the impious for the ignominy and torture of Christ might be used by his apostles as a sign of honor and glory, as well as to signify that the ministers of the church should strive to resemble Christ our Lord and represent him in all things. Some, however, assert that by tonsure is denoted the royal dignity, that is, the portion reserved especially for those who are called to the inheritance of the Lord. It will readily be seen that the Apostle Peter says of all the faithful, You are a chosen generation, a kingly priesthood, a holy nation. That's in 1 Peter chapter 2. Applies especially and with much greater reason to the ministers of the church. Still, there are some who consider that by the circle, which is the most perfect of all figures, is signified the profession of a more perfect life undertaken by ecclesiastics, while in view of the fact that the hair of their heads, which is a kind of bodily superfluity, is cut off, others think that it denotes contempt for external things and detachment of soul from all human cares. Um, I always love it when the Catechism uh, gives us a little... Uh, Geo geometric um, truth. Uh, the circle, of course, is the most perfect figure, as we all know from our study of geometry. It's the simplest and, I think, the most beautiful figure. Uh, so, therefore, it would seem very appropriate that a, a cleric would have a circle on his head. I like that. I think that's a, a great idea. Um, we don't do that anymore, of course. Um, I suppose there are some uh, more strict religious organizations, though, that still do um, carry on with the tonsure. So that's pretty neat. And then, of course, this idea that 
the uh, hair is sort of a superfluity and uh, should be cut off as a uh, sign for contempt for material things and a detachment from human cares. Uh, we'll continue now. Now the Catechism explains each of the seven orders. Um, so it starts with the minor orders, starting with Porter. After tonsure, it is customary to advance to the first order, which is that of Porter. The function of Porter is to guard the keys and doors of the church and to allow no one to enter there to whom access has been forbidden. Formerly, the Porter used to assist at the holy sacrifice of the Mass to see that no one approached too near the altar or disturb the priest during the celebration of the divine mysteries. Other duties were also assigned to him, as may be seen from the ceremonies used at his ordination. Thus the bishop, taking the keys from the altar, hands them to him who is being made porter and says, Let your conduct be that of one who has to render to God an account of those things that are kept under these keys. How great was the dignity of this order in the, in the ancient church may be inferred from a usage which exists in the church in these times. For the office of treasurer, which is still numbered among the more honorable functions of the church, was entrusted to porters, and carried with it also the guardianship of the sacristy. I suppose now, maybe uh, the, our ushers that we see at church are um, the most um, similar to what the porter used to be, uh, and they, it's usually the ushers that uh, take up the collections as well, so uh, we might think of the ushers as what used to be the, the, the porter. Again, I think it would be cool if our ushers received the tonsure um, to give them that extra special mark. Let's continue to the uh, reader. The second degree of orders is the office of reader, whose duty it is to read in the church in a clear and distinct voice the books of the Old and the New Testament, and especially those which are read during the nocturnal psalmody. Formerly, it was also his duty to teach the faithful the first rudiments of the Christian religion. Hence it is that when ordaining him the bishop in the presence of the people, handing him a book, in which are set down all that regards this office, says, Take and be you an announcer of the word of God. If you faithfully and profitably discharge your office, you shall have a part with those who from the beginning have well ministered the word of God. And again, uh, the reader seems to me it shows what a significant part that is to read, to be a designated reader and to, and to take that job seriously, um, to announce the word of God. Um, the, the next order is that of exorcist. The Catechism continues, The third order is that of exorcist, to whom is given the power to invoke the name of the Lord over those who are possessed by unclean spirits. Hence the bishop, when ordaining them, presents to them a book in which the exorcisms are contained, and at the same time pronounces this form of words, Take and commit to memory and have the power of imposing hands over the possessed, whether baptized or catechumen. Now that's particularly striking that the exorcist is one of the minor orders. I think um, these days exorcists are ordinarily, if not always, ordained priests. So the fact that the exorcist was a minor order, I think that deserves more attention. I'm, I'm thinking that perhaps the idea of expelling a demon from 
another human being is certainly not as great as uh, consecrating bread and wine and uh, uh, confecting the Eucharist. So I don't know if, if um, this is explicitly the reason, but that the, the to exercise someone is certainly of less of a power than that of a priest. The next order is that of acolyte. The fourth degree is that of acolytes, and it is the last of the orders that are called minor and not sacred. Their duty is to attend and serve the ministers who are in major orders. That is the deacon and subdeacon in the sacrifice of the altar. They also carry and attend to the lights during the celebration of the sacrifice of the Mass, and especially during the reading of the Gospel, from which fact they are also called candle bearers. The footnote reminds us that the term acolyte is taken from the Greek and means follower or companion. Therefore, the ordination of acolytes, at the ordination of acolytes, the bishop observes the following rite. First of all, he carefully warns them of the nature of their office, then hands to each of them a light, saying, Receive this candlestick and candle, and remember that henceforth you are given the charge of lighting the candles of the church in the name of the Lord. Then he hands them empty cruets in which are presented the wine and water for the sacrifice, saying, Receive these cruets to supply wine and water for the Eucharist of Christ's blood in the name of the Lord. And so those are the four minor orders. And again, we can see the sort of ascending order uh, that they have. And remember that uh, each one who would receive that would have his tonsure gradually uh, enlarged. Now the Catechism continues to the major orders and begins with subdeacon. From the minor orders which are not sacred and of which we have been speaking until now, one lawfully enters and ascends to major and sacred orders. Now the subdiaconate is the first degree of major orders. Its function, as the name itself indicates, is to serve the deacon at the altar. It is the subdeacon who should prepare the altar linen, the vessels, and the bread and wine necessary for the celebration of the Holy Sacrifice. He also it is who presents water to the bishop or priest when he washes his hands during the sacrifice of the Mass. It is also the subdeacon who now reads the epistle, which in former times was read at Mass by the deacon. He assists as witness at the Holy Sacrifice and guards the celebrant from being disturbed by anyone during the sacred ceremonies. The various duties that pertain to the subdeacon are indicated by the solemn ceremonies used at his ordination. In the first place, the bishop warns him that the obligation of perpetual continence is attached to this order and declares that no one is to be admitted among the subdeacons who is not ready and willing to accept the obligation in question. Then after the solemn recitation of the litanies, the bishop enumerates and explains the duties and functions of the subdeacon. Thereupon, each one of those who are being ordained receives the chalice and sacred patent from the bishop, and to show that he is to serve the deacon, the subdeacon receives from the archdeacon cruets filled with wine and water, together with a basin and towel with which to wash and dry the hands. At the same time, the bishop pronounces these words, See what sort of ministry is entrusted to you. I admonish you, therefore, to show yourself worthy to please God. Other prayers follow, and finally, when the bishop has clothed the subdeacon with his sacred vestments, 
for each of which there are special words and ceremonies, he gives them the book of the epistles, saying, Receive the book of the epistles with power to read them in the holy church of God, as well for the living as for the dead. And so now the catechism proceeds with the second of the major orders, the deacon. The second degree of sacred orders is that of the deacons, whose functions are much more extensive and have always been regarded as more holy. His duty it is to be always at the side of the bishop, guard him while he preaches, serve him and the priest during the celebration of the divine mysteries, as well as during the administration of the sacraments and to read the gospel and the sacrifice of the mass. In former times, he frequently warned the faithful to be attentive to the holy mysteries. He administered our Lord's blood in those churches in which the custom existed that the faithful should receive the Eucharist under both species. And to him was entrusted the distribution of the church's goods, as well as the duty of providing for all that was necessary to each one's sustenance. To the deacon also as the eye of the bishop, it belongs to see who they are in the city that lead a good life and holy life and who not, who are present at the holy sacrifice and sermons at appointed times and who not, so that he may be able to give an account of all to the bishop and enable him to admonish and advise each one privately or to rebuke and correct publicly according as he may deem more profitable. He should also read out the list of the catechumens and present to the bishop those who are to be admitted to orders. Finally, in the absence of a bishop or priest, he can explain the gospel, but not from the pulpit, thus letting it be seen that this is not his proper office. The Apostle shows the great care that should be taken that no one unworthy of the diaconate be prompted to this, be promoted to this order. When in his epistle to Timothy, he sets forth a deacon's character, virtues, and integrity. The same point is also gathered from the rites and solemn ceremonies which the bishop employs when ordaining him. The bishop uses more numerous and more solemn prayers at the ordination of a deacon than at that of a subdeacon and he also adds other kinds of sacred vestments. Moreover, he imposes hands on him, just as we read the apostles used to do when ordaining the first deacons. Finally, he hands him the book of the Gospels with these words, Receive the power to read the Gospel in the Church of God, both for the living and the dead, in the name of the Lord. And we might remark that that imposition of hands appears to be a sign that the, di the diaconate is um, really a, um, is part of the fullness of the sacrament of orders um, over and above the subdiaconate and the minor orders. It's the, it's, it appears to be the first one in which the imposition of hands occurred. We continue on with a short paragraph uh, about the, the third and highest degree of sacred orders, namely the priest. So the catechism says, the third and highest degree of all sacred orders is the priesthood. The fathers of the first centuries usually designated those who had received this order by two names. At one time they called them presbyters, a Greek word signifying elders, not only because of the ripe years very necessary for this order, but much more on account of their gravity, knowledge, and prudence. For it is written, 
venerable old age is not that of long time, nor counted by the number of years, but the understanding of a man is gray hairs, and an unspotted life is old age. At other times, they call him priests, both, both because they are consecrated to God and because to them it belongs to administer the sacraments and take charge of things sacred and divine. Let us stop there in our reading of the Catechism uh, before it goes on to talk more about the priesthood and the um, various kinds of the various degrees of the priesthood. Um, and turn to, we'll, turn, we'll now turn to the supplement to the Summa Theologica where the question of holy orders is taken up. And um, the interesting thing about this sacrament is that there appears to be a certain ability for the church itself to order the sacrament of orders, um, which seems fitting. As St. Thomas mentioned um, in our previous article when he said whether orders is a sacrament, the idea that the church should be able to order itself to some degree after the institution of the priesthood by Christ himself, that, that whatsoever the church binds on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever it loses on earth shall be loose in heaven. There is a certain ability that the church has to uh, differentiate among the various tasks that belong to the priest. And so therefore, we could, we could see that the church itself might differentiate these tasks and assign them a certain dignity, um, and at other times might... Um, might reassign these tasks, although, of course, the priesthood is eternal and can never be um, changed. But nonetheless, the subsidiary duties and tasks that we have in the minor orders and even in the subdiaconate appear to be something that is within the prerogative of the church to, to reorder, so to speak. And so that um, brings us to this article in question 37 of this supplement of the distinction of orders of their acts and the imprinting of the character. The first article is, is whether we ought to distinguish several orders. And we'll just go to the body of the article uh, for, the, for the light that it shines on the sacrament. St. Thomas, in the supplement, the, um, it says, I answer that multiplicity of orders was introduced into the church for three reasons. First, to show forth the wisdom of God, which is reflected in the orderly distinction of things, both natural and spiritual. This is signified in the statement of 3 Kings, chapter 10, that when the queen of Saba saw the order of Solomon's servants, she had no longer any spirit in her, for she was breathless from admiration of his wisdom. Secondly, in order to succor human weakness, because it would be impossible for one man without his being heavily burdened to fulfill all things pertaining to the divine mysteries. And so various orders are severally appointed to the various offices. And this is shown by the Lord giving Moses 70 ancients to assist him. Thirdly, that men may be given a broader way for advancing to perfection, seeing that the various duties are divided among many men, so that all become the cooperators of God, than which nothing is more godlike as Dionysius says. So uh, there we see a little insight there that the division of labor, so to speak, in all things pertaining to the Eucharist, uh, the priest's main job, as St. Thomas will say, is to 
consecrate and, and confect the sacred Eucharist and uh, the body and blood of our Lord. And to this task, there are many duties um, that need to be performed. And so the church has assigned these duties to the various, um, various people and divided them up, as sort of a division of labor. But we could see that um, the subsidiary tasks that go into supporting the, what the priest himself does might be um, differently divided over, over various times according to the need. Um, and this truth is brought out in the second article of question 37, where the question is asked whether there are seven orders. And we are going to skip all of the objections and even a, a lengthy part of the body to go to the answer that is provided. And this sheds light on these um, various uh, tasks, these various minor orders. And um, so we pick up in the middle of the body. We read, the sacrament of order is directed to the sacrament of the Eucharist, which is the sacrament of sacraments, as Dionysius says. For just as temple, altar, vessels, and vestments need to be consecrated, so do the ministers who are ordained for the Eucharist. And this consecration is the sacrament of order. Hence, the distinction of orders is derived from their relation to the Eucharist. For the power of order is directed either to the consecration of the Eucharist itself or to some ministry in connection with this sacrament of the Eucharist. If in the former way, then it is the order of priests. Hence, when they are ordained, they receive the chalice with wine and the paten with the bread because they are receiving the power to consecrate the body and blood of Christ. The cooperation of the ministers is directed either to the sacrament itself or to the recipients. If the former, this happens in three ways. For in the first place, in the first place, there is the ministry whereby the minister cooperates with the priest in the sacrament itself by dispensing, but not by consecrating. For this is done by the priest alone, and this belongs to the deacon. It is said that it belongs to the deacon to minister to the priest in whatever is done in Christ's sacraments, wherefore he dispenses Christ's blood. Secondly, there is the ministry directed to the disposal of the sacramental matter in the sacred vessels of the sacrament, and this belongs to subdeacons. Wherefore, it is they that carry the vessels of our Lord's body and blood and place the oblation on the altar. Hence, when they are ordained, they receive the chalice empty, however, from the bishop's hands. Thirdly, there is the ministry directed to the uh, profferings of the sacramental matter, and this belongs to the acolyte. For he prepares the cruet with wine and water, wherefore he receives an, em an empty cruet. The ministry direct directed to the preparation of the recipients can be exercised only over the unclean, since those who are clean are already apt for receiving the sacraments. Now the unclean are of three kinds, according to Dionysius, for some are absolute unbelievers and unwilling to believe, and these must be altogether debarred from beholding divine things and from the assembly of the faithful. This belongs to the porter. Some, however, are willing to believe, but are not as yet instructed, namely catechumens, and to the instruction of such persons the order of lector is directed who are therefore entrusted with the reading of the first rudiments of the doctrine of faith, namely the Old Testament. But some are believers and instructed, yet lie under an impediment through the power of the devil, namely those who are possessed 
and to this ministry the order of exorcists is directed. Thus the reason and number of the degrees of orders is made clear. And so that's uh, the way we find it in the, in the Summa Theologica, in the supplement, the reason for the distinction of these seven orders. The major orders are directed to the uh, administration, the consecration and administration of the Eucharist itself to the faithful. And so we have the priest and the deacon and the subdeacon and the acolyte all uh, ordered to that. And then the other uh, three orders are um, designated. Their task is to um, administer to the faithful and to um, allow the faithful to um, enter into the mystery and receive the Eucharist uh, or to debar them because of some impediment. And so we're trying to shed some light on these various uh, seven orders that are in the Catechism of the Council of Trent and existed in the church all the way up until 1973. And yet we still see uh, the vestiges of them uh, in our ushers and our readers and the altar servers. And, um, but the, the f four orders, the four minor orders and the subdiaconate appear to have been suppressed and have been changed into, um, into they instead of calling them ordinations, they're instituted as a uh, lector in some religious congregations. And so we will stop there with this mysterious sacrament and continue next time. I think we need to talk about the difference of the bishop and the priest, uh, because here it's interesting that we don't see, in the Catechism of the Council of Trent, we don't see the episcopate designated as one of the orders Although in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, um, we find that the three orders are now deacon, priest, and bishop. So uh, we need to clear that up and explain why um, the teaching is the, the same as it always was. Um, but there is a little bit of a confusion here um, that we need to avoid, and uh, we look forward to um, looking into that further. So thank you for joining me in this episode of Exploring the Catechism of the Council of Trent in a Year. I'm Mark Langley, and we look forward to reading further in our next episode. <laughs>